G'day guys, welcome to Finding Space. I'm your host, Alex Tyson. Today we're talking about a ketogenic lifestyle. I used to have a lot of resistance to this lifestyle, this way of eating. For those who have been following the podcast for a while now, you know it's very different to how I've eaten for a lot of my life. And since recording this episode, uh, I've started to implement some keto into my life. In fact, I've been keto for about the last month. (laughs) It's been a journey and I'm really enjoying it. And part of the reason that I made that shift was on the back of this conversation. It's a really in-depth conversation. Today, I'm speaking with Richard Smith. Richard Smith is the founder of Keto Pro, a really big ketogenic website based in the UK, whereby they sell pretty much everything you need to do keto well. Salts, minerals, exogenous ketones, different kinds of foods, low keto breads, these kind of things. Things that are actually really helpful when you're doing keto and if you want to do it cleanly. In today's conversation, we talk about his journey into a keto lifestyle. We talk about his bodybuilding experience doing keto and just generally having a very active lifestyle doing keto, which some people say can be quite hard. We talk about many of the associated benefits with keto and we also explore ways to implement it and not deal with some of the downsides that you often hear from people who have trouble with keto. And so we kind of work through that and discuss ways that you can actually avoid things like the keto flu. So it's a really interesting conversation. It certainly was one of the elements that helped shift my perspective on it. I'm currently enjoying it. I don't know if I'll do it forever. That's another conversation. And so today I bring you Richard Smith. Richard Smith, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. So dude, you've got a really interesting story. I want to start right there. I mean, you're looking pretty big now, but I know you used to <laughs> be bigger, right? But I'm curious about how you got into that space and tell me a bit about some of the challenges you had that led you to where you are now. So before my journey began, uh, I was clinically obese. I was type 2 diabetic. I suffered with chronic fatigue, depression, anxiety, arthritic pains. Uh, I suffered with these daily debilitating migraines that would make me blind I was on a myriad of medication. I tried every diet and lifestyle that you can think of. I tried eating off the food pyramid, the eat well plate, listening to dietitians and nutritionists advice. Nothing seemed to work. I, I remember in my mid to late 20s, I could barely walk up the stairs without stopping uh, and being severely out of breath, just walking up you know, one flight of stairs, which isn't the best place to be in your mid to late 20s. Mm. Uh, I didn't really know which way to move forward, but I knew the bread bloated me. So that's where my journey began, believe it or not. I, I restricted restricted my bread. Yeah. Uh, to my amazement, within uh, two months, I had dropped around two stone. Uh, by the end of that year, 12-month period, I'd lost 107 pounds. Uh, I'd reversed my diabetes. My migraines, which were absolutely debilitating and would make me blind, had completely disappeared. Uh, I now had more confidence. The anxiety, you know, when you speak to people about depression, anxiety, unless they've experienced these things, I don't think they can they can relate, but most can. Uh, but mine was so debilitating that I could barely leave my house to walk to my car, which was on my drive about two feet away. If there was another person in the street, if there was another car driving past, or if one of my neighbors were in their garden, 
And many believed that it was to do with me being not very sociable. But that wasn't the case. It was more to do with the fact that I never felt worthy of the company of others. And all of these things went away. I'd lost an amazing amount of weight. My doctor, uh, despite reversing diabetes, strongly advised that I'd come away from eating the foods that I was eating because I bumped into a friend of mine after a couple of months into my journey. And he said that I was probably in a ketogenic state. I had never heard of the word ketogenic before. To me, he was swearing at me. You know, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. So uh, he explained a little. I went away, did a little bit of research, and then I tested. I tested my ketones with urine strips. And I wasn't ketogenic. So this was in the earlier stages, but I'd already achieved a significant amount of weight loss. I was still eating certain foods that I thought were healthy, foods that we are told are healthy. So I further restricted these. Uh, and within two weeks, I managed to achieve a ketogenic state. And those two weeks were the worst two weeks of my life. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I genuinely thought that I was going to die. And this is your body going through a detoxification phase. And your body begins to crave certain substances, i.e. sugars or carbohydrates. Uh, glucose is the most addictive you know, thing on the planet. It's more addictive than heroin. And I'm not telling people to completely restrict you know, carbohydrates, but it's important to understand that all carbohydrates break down into glucose, into sugar. So all carbohydrates are sugar. And I was a sugar addict. I was addicted to sugar. And I later found out that... Um, the sugar and the sugar-related products was the root cause of all of my debilitating illnesses. And we can go to town in regards to what these are, in regards to the lectins found in grains and the oxidized omega-6s found in, in uh, vegetable and seed oils. And these things that we're told, you know, that are good for us and heart healthy, they can be detrimental to our health. Mm. I began my journey over a period of this year and completely transformed my life. And I felt that I'd found a secret and I wanted to tell everybody about my secret. So right. I would stop and tell everybody about my journey. And most of them were telling me just to go away, you know, but um, <laughs> despite this incredible transformation, my doctor, my friends, my family, they were all concerned about the amount of dietary fat that I was consuming. They were right. concerned that I was going to suffer with cardiovascular disease. And I took a step back and thought, wait a minute. When I was stuffing my face with fast food, McDonald's, Burger King, Domino's, KFC, Pop-Tarts, whatever it was, nobody had a blind thing to say to me. Nobody ever said one thing about <laughs> me being uh, unfit and unhealthy. And now that I was eating this real food, everybody came out of the woodwork and said that, you know, these foods are detrimental to your health. So I began to retrain. I began to, to re-educate myself. Uh, I trained, retrained as a nutritionist. Despite what I was taught, you know, I believe to be incorrect. It was a, a hoop that I had to jump through. And I spent many of the next few years studying clinical trials and research papers, looking into the effects of foods. And it's a minefield. It's an absolute rabbit hole. And it's a journey that, um, that I'm so deep in now that I don't think I'll ever come out of it. But along this journey, I've uh, picked up pieces of information which have evolved the way that my diet and lifestyle is now. Uh, the way that I live my life now wasn't the way that I lived it nine years ago when you know I thought that I was being healthy um, because the education pieces and the research papers that I have read have, have led me down this rabbit hole, as I say, and my uh, understanding has evolved. 
So people regard uh, my lifestyle now as being quite extreme, but I find it quite indulgent. I love the food that I eat. I don't diet. I stuff my face, believe it or not. I don't restrict my food. I eat when I'm hungry. Uh, and that's the key, you know, but we can go into this as deep as you like. We can give the brief version, you know, of the journey, the diet and lifestyle, or we can go to town with the science. Uh, I'm on board either way, but it's a massive education piece. And um, this is what I've dedicated my life to. So I quit my job as a purchasing manager for an electrical engineering company. I was on uh, good money. I walked away from this. My wife and I sold our two houses, which we owned outright. Uh, to put into the business so we could move forward and do these public speaking events and, and educate people. Uh, and this is what we do in our business. And we're still fighting for survival because it's an education piece. And I was once told by a very well-known business person in my area that education is expensive, so don't go into this business. But it's come from a point of something inside me, something, a passion, if you like, something that mm. I want to tell the world about. And yeah. It's as simple as that, really. <laughs> Man. That's the short version. <laughs> yeah. When we follow our passions, that's when the magic happens, you know, as hard as it can be, and it doesn't end up being driven by money. Um, that's a beautiful thing. Man, there's so much to unpack there, so much. Um, before we get into some of the more specifics around the ketogenic diet, and I do want to talk to some of the science that's happening when we're in a ketogenic state and some of those foods that you were talking about before, but it just tell me quickly about your lifestyle that you were living when you were that sick, because it sounds to me like it was purely just a nutrition change that made the difference. However, as we know, there's more fundamentals to our health and well-being than just what we're eating. So I'm curious, like what your lifestyle looked like when you did have the migraines and when you did have diabetes outside of just the food that you're eating. So my lifestyle has changed a lot, I think, and that's to do with the amount of energy that I now have. I've always worked out in the gym. I've always tried to remain fit and healthy. Um, when I left school, I left school at seven stone. So I was incredibly small. My frame is incredibly small. And I always had this complex, if you like, of not being worthy and feeling too skinny, if you like. So, you know, I started training in the house with my, uh, my home gym set. And I did, I, I did gain a little bit of mass. Uh, I was following the usual protocol, lots of carbohydrates, lots of protein, avoiding my saturated fats. I gained weight. I gained a little bit of muscle, but most of the weight that I gained was fat. I became a little bit stronger, but I was never exceptional. And I only ever looked good or half tidy, if you like, in clothes. So sometimes, you know, a fairly tight t-shirt would be okay, but it couldn't be too tight because it would expose the little bulge in my belly. <laughs> so, you know, tight clothes, I would look okay in, but I still wouldn't take, uh, you know, my shirt off to go swimming down to the beach or the swimming pool. So... I made every attempt to be fit and healthy, but my diet, so I'd coming back to the diet, my diet was, you know, wake up in the morning, maybe eating a bowl of muesli with a, a sliced up banana. You know, I'd, um, I used to eat, I used to love beans on toast. I used to eat scrambled egg on toast, um, sandwiches, chicken sandwiches, chicken salads. I knew the protein was essential, but I used to try to avoid the saturated fats. So I would go for leaner cuts. Everything was rice and pasta with chicken. 
you know, so in regards to what we perceive to be healthy food, I think most people would probably acknowledge that rice and pasta and chicken is good for us. But these were the foods that I was eating. These were the foods that were making me sick. So yeah, it. let's re- rewind sort of two or three years. I began training more and more, um, coming in into the lifestyle up until two or three years ago. Uh, and this was to prove a point because many believe that you can't build muscle without carbohydrates. You can't train without carbohydrates. Right. Yet I had the ability to burn body fat and a lot of body fat. And I was still seemingly building muscle. So I decided to compete in uh, an amateur men's physique competition. Now, this doesn't sound like much, but this is coming from a person that suffered severely with depression and anxiety, somebody that wouldn't leave their house other than to go to work. And I would get into my car, I would drive to the office. I worked for an electrical engineering company. So I ran uh, a team of uh, the purchasing department a small team, but they were all in an office and I had my own little area within that office. So that was my safety zone. So I jump into my box, into my car, I'd drive to the office and get into another box. So leaving one box into a box, into another box. And I remember one day actually sitting in the office thinking, I'm just a man sitting in a box inside a bigger box. (laughs) And it just, (laughs) I know it sounds stupid, but My mind just started thinking over time, is this what my life is about? I'm just somebody that's constantly sitting in a box inside a bigger box. And this is the way my life was. I would not go into public. You know, I would not go into the local supermarket. I would buy everything online. Uh, You know, my wife would do the shopping. So the thought of walking on stage in front of hundreds of people uh, in essentially your pants (laughs) was... um, (laughs) was incredibly scary. And I told everyone that I was going to do this. And I did so because I knew that I would follow through with going on stage and competing if I had told everyone because I wouldn't want to be seen as a failure. Uh, Everybody begged me not to do it because they were worried that I was going to embarrass myself. But I did. I got on stage. I came second in that show. I went on to compete. Yeah. So I, it was incredible. Um, and I nearly didn't walk on. I swear I nearly stopped at right. the stage edge. Right. Um, I decided to carry on, p- pursue this. So I bought more equipment. I trained in the house. So I couldn't even face going to a public gym and I competed the next year and the year after. Uh, and I think it was either year three or four. I placed highly and I was awarded pro status. So I received a pro card, uh, competed for another two years. And I won the Middlesbrough Championship, followed a week later by the British Championship, and last year by the European Championship uh, at a pro level. So I went from being unable to walk up the stairs and being clinically obese to becoming number one in Europe in a professional sport, completely, pardon the pun, but going against the grain. You know, I was avoiding (laughs) the grains and the carbs, and I was uh, enabled to build muscle and to be fit and healthy without these foods that we are told are good for us and essential for building lean mass and for giving us energy to train. Um, mm. So it, it, yeah, in a nutshell, that's where we are today. Yeah, it's a beautiful story and transition. And I really love that piece around the shirt and like I couldn't wear it too tight because my stomach would show. I feel like that's a really deep kind of thought process that we have as humans that not many people would admit to, or if they do, there's a bit of shame around it. Uh, however, 
I've certainly felt that <laughs> and many others feel the same. So I really like that little insight there. So let's jump into keto. So my listeners know what keto is and understand it, but I want to dive into like what's happening in those first couple of weeks or however long it might be, you know, where we, we're not feeling good. Yes, it's detox, but like more specifically, what's happening then and why is that happening? And what are the kind of foods that we need to be eating to get us into a ketogenic state? And then a bit about how do we test, you know, to see that we're at the right ketone level. What is the ketone level? These kind of things I, I want to start to unpack a bit more. Awesome. So what enables us to be ketogenic is a reduction in carbohydrates, reduction in glucose or sugar. This is usually tailored around about less than 20 grams per day. Some manage around 50 grams, but I find people who work at 50 grams are people that do work out in the gym a lot or train a lot. For me, it was 20 grams or less. Um, now, there are lots of hidden carbs in, in certain foods as well, which um, caught me out in the early stages. Uh, and fruit, because we don't think of fruit as being sugar. Obviously, we know it's fructose, but we're told that it, it's natural sugar. And I'm not saying fruit is bad, um, but it, it is a sugar. Um, so to allow us to be ketogenic, we need... Mm. We, we need uh, uh, elevated glucagon and suppressed insulin. So to suppress insulin, we need to restrict the foods that are activating insulin to the highest degree. And these are our sugars or carbohydrates. So that's the first protocol, re reducing carbohydrates. People will tailor it around lots of fat, but this is a fallacy. Um, fat is important. It's essential for life. Uh, but the amount of fat doesn't gauge how deep we are in a ketogenic state. We can increase ketone levels by consuming more fat because technically we're wasting more fat, if you like, especially through a urine test, which is usually the, the first protocol when you begin a ketogenic journey. But within the first couple of weeks, we are dropping carbohydrates, which is glucose. Now, when we look at high blood pressure, high blood pressure is an insulin-dependent state. So it's not caused through sodium. So it's, it's caused through an elevation in insulin. So one of the studies that I reference in my talks covers uh, 17 countries and 100,000 participants, and it looks at sodium excretion. So if we look at sodium excretion, we can assume what is excreted is at least what is consumed. And what the study shows is that um, all-cause mortality increases considerably when we go below 1,500 milligrams of sodium per day, with a sweet spot being between four to 6,000 and even in a safer zone up to 10,000 milligrams than going below 1500. So it's insulin that's holding on to this sodium within the body. So insulin is signaling the kidneys to pull sodium back into the bloodstream. Now, whatever sodium goes, water follows, which leads to this high blood pressure. So it's, it, but it's not sodium that's causing this. It's the insulin. And we can talk about insulin resistance as well. But initially, when we begin a ketogenic journey, we're restricting carbohydrates. And almost overnight, at the flick of a switch, insulin begins to improve. We see this reduction in insulin. And it's this drop in insulin, which signals the kidneys to release the sodium from the body. And along with this comes what's called keto flu, or it used to be known as the Atkins flu. And this is because sodium is essential for life. We can't live without it. So this leads to a feeling of uh, nauseous you know, feeling nauseous, um, feeling sick, we become dizzy and unwell, and it's a whole world of unpleasantness. So many think, well, this clearly isn't working. I've heard so many people tell me that living this lifestyle or diet, as people you know are labeling it, is dangerous. Uh, so they latch on to this, and then they come away thinking, I've tried it, and it didn't work. Not understanding 
you know, the true meaning behind a ketogenic lifestyle and not understanding what's happening in regards to this, this suppression or decline in insulin and loss of electrolytes. So electrolytes are super important, particularly sodium. We need lots of sodium. Now, table salt can be toxic. So I recommend things like pink Himalayan or a Celtic sea salt. And this is why one of the products that we make is uh, keto type electrolytes. They're basically electrolytes that anybody can use, but electrolytes, particularly sodium are essential. So that's typically within the first one to two weeks. And so just to jump in there. So are you saying that if we keep our electrolytes up during those first couple of weeks, we're not going to feel that sickness as much or even at all? So we may not feel it at all whatsoever. If we do, it is greatly reduced, but it is this loss of electrolytes, particularly sodium. So we need lots of salt. We live in a society that tells us you know, not to overconsume salt. So when we do salt our meals with a pink Himalayan or a Celtic sea salt or any rock salt for that matter, we tend to put a tiny little bit on because we're still in this mentality that this salt is bad for us. But it's about breaking down these barriers and understanding that, wait a minute, we need lots of salt. So some people will salt their meals, but it may not be enough. So it's important to understand that we need this lot of salt. So a lot of this keto flu uh, or Atkins flu uh, can be heavily negated by sodium and the supplementation of quality electrolytes. Got it. Yeah. Uh, now, be careful because there are lots of electrolytes on the market as well, which contain more sugar than electrolytes. So in my opinion, and nothing more than sugar water. But yeah. yeah, because they need all the sugar. So it doesn't taste salty and disgusting. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's the initial phase. And there's a few ways that we can test ketone levels. So we can test using urine strips, which is picking up on acetone. Uh, or is it acetoacetate? Acetoacetate. So acetoacetate is a wasted ketone body. Acetone is what we breathe out. And then there's the ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate. So these are the three ketone bodies. Beta-hydroxybutyrate is the creme de la creme of the ketones. This is the one that we want. But initially, our bodies don't understand how to use beta-hydroxybutyrate. So we waste much of it through our urine, through our breath. And sometimes people will say that They've experienced bad breath during the early stages of, of being ketogenic, but this does pass. It does pass in time as we adapt, as we become fat adapted. So we can test with a breath monitor, with urine strips, or we can test with a blood ketone monitor. Uh, the cheapest is the urine strips. And to be honest, this is what I would suggest because it almost becomes obsessive in the early stage. You want to see a trace of those ketones and you're testing every two minutes. And I don't recommend that because it, it does become ridiculously <laughs> obsessive. And there are so many things that can affect a ketone reading as well. Mm. Working out and raising cortisol, um, increasing malonyl coenzyme A through eating food. Too early in the morning, we get a, an elevation of, of hormones known as the dawn phenomenon. Um, so the best time to test is before bed, in my opinion, mm. unless it's with the blood glucose monitor. But even then, I would still avoid around training and, and meal times. But the urine strips are the cheapest and in the early stages they are more the most effective i think you can gravitate in towards uh the blood glucose monitor uh, or the blood keto monitor mm. which usually do both a little bit later on um i'm not a big fan of the breath monitors because as i say this um this wasted acetone does dissipate over time and um yeah it seems like a, a waste of money on something that isn't is only going to last a few weeks you know and why does the body not understand how to use beta-hydroxybutyrate in the first instance? 
So we've had a lifetime of abuse. We've had a lifetime of this substance that we need to utilize for fuel. And there are things within the body called monocoboxylate transporters. These are transporters that allow us to upregulate and utilize ketones. Uh, when we are using glucose for fuel, these monocoboxylate transporters are not being used. And it can take time to upregulate the carnitine shuttles, the carnitine palmitol transferase, mm. and the monocoboxylate transporters. It can take up to six months especially with athletes we find um but you can speed this process up you can increase this upregulation of the mcts uh not to be confused with mct oil two different right. things <laughs> um the monocoboxid transporters can be upregulated through uh hit style training intense hit style training which seems counterintuitive and it is incredibly difficult, especially when you're going through this transition phase and you have this lack of energy because your energy literally drops off a cliff initially. Mm. Uh, and this is why people who work out will sometimes walk away from becoming ketogenic because they think it's not working. But your body needs to adapt. Your body needs to go through this transition phase. Okay, let's go there for a second. So I'm curious, like for you, what is an intense HIIT training? So to be honest with HIT, I didn't do an awful lot initially because this information came to me, you know, around four or five years into my journey. So I was already fat adapted. It's only after working with amateur and professional athletes did we find that HIT style training worked best. And then we found a myriad of documentation and, and clinical trials to back us up. A lot of people don't want to do HIT training either. They <laughs> begin the lifestyle. So for me, it isn't something I do an awful lot of. If I'm in a rush and I need to do something quickly, I'll tend to do supersets within the gym. Mm -hmm. I'll mix different sets of weights, but I still train weights in the gym, but I have come away from the competing and the bodybuilding. As you say, I've lost, you know, a considerable amount, amount of size over the last year. Um, the shape is still there, but I'm a lot smaller. And the reason for that is I've gravitated into cycling and running so i want to compete now in triathlons cool. with a target of doing an ironman eventually now many people do triathlons and do athlons and running and swimming and cycling but this is something that is completely alien to me uh, i've lived my life you know since i can remember since you know the last seven eight nine years lifting weights in the gym and avoiding cardio mm. so I've barely done any running since I was in school. I haven't ridden a bike since I was in school. And when I did, it was a mountain bike. So I've never ridden a road bike and I still can't swim. So I still haven't ventured into the water yet, believe it or not. Man, I love it. Like I haven't done a triathlon personally, but they look fucking hard. Let's be honest. <laughs> I've yeah. had numerous guests who have done them and I've done a couple half marathons and it's hard work, man. So Good for you. I love that you're going for it. It's awesome. It's, you, you've done a half? Yeah, I've done a couple. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. I've done a couple half marathons. The goal was to do a full marathon. And I did two half marathons and then I, I went and did a 30-day fast on water, right? And I remember during that fast, I said, Alex, why do you want to do a full marathon? Because I don't know if that's actually good for your health and well-being <laughs> like 21 k's was was enough anyway i thought i was pretty good like i was pretty kind of 
happy with myself for doing a couple half marathons. And recently I met a fellow and uh, we're talking about running a little bit. He was real modest. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've done a bit of running. I, I run a fair bit, you know, during the week and I've done a couple of half marathons. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I run every day as well. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. How far do you run? He's like, oh, uh, I do a half marathon. And I was like, yeah, but how far do you run like each day? If you're running each day, he's like, yeah, I, I do a half marathon each day. Wow. I have had for the last 170 days. <laughs> and I was just like, no. holy shit, man. So in that moment, I was like, I didn't think I can call myself a runner, actually. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Um, so what, um, what was your, what, what were your times doing the half? Uh, two hours. Brilliant. So I was doing like six minute Ks. Um, I'm not setting any records, but I was just real consistent. And I'd go quite slow. I was doing like six minute thirties at the start and then I would speed up towards the end. So I had a negative split, but yeah, not super quick, but it was a good pace. I, I, I actually really enjoyed them. They were, they were really fun to do. I've done two recently. That's the furthest that I, that I've run is, is a half. Yeah. So I, I've only been running a matter of months now. Um, the first time that I ran was one and a half K. And I couldn't run any further. And I was beating myself up so badly because I'd come away from winning at a professional level and there was children running past me. Yeah. yeah. And it was completely demoralizing. Uh, I persevered. A couple of weeks went by and I managed to run a bit further and a bit further. But it's literally a few months that I've been running and cycling. I think I've probably been on a bike eight times. Um, but I built up to a half. We incremented it slowly, but I was mixing up fast days and distance days. And I tried to do too much too soon. So as a result, I've injured and I have a competition in little over a week. I do ask on my first competition, but right. you know, coming away from that, we did a practice run on nine miles and it killed me. And I thought this, we're meant to be running this half marathon in one week's time. And I couldn't even finish nine. Well, I did finish nine, but it, it was painful. Yeah. But we went back and ran the half. And to date, that was the easiest run that I'd ever done. Love it. So my body had adjusted. Um, I finished 148. Nice. Uh, it was a, a gentle chatty run. The whole running club went. It was about 40 of us. Uh, four of us pulled off and we were just running and chatting. And yeah, I really enjoyed But it just goes to show how quickly the body can adapt because the week prior nine miles was like the top end max that I was able to run. So that gave me a bit of encouragement mm. and it, um, my 5k, uh, I managed to get a 1933 recently, which, nice. you know, isn't, isn't set in the world of light by any means. There's people running out there in these park runs that are doing 15 minute 5ks. But, um, as somebody that comes from a bodybuilding background, and I put this down, I put the improvement down to the lifestyle uh, and the body's ability to upregulate, you know, these enzymes and pathways and utilize this untapped energy source, because that's what the body, uh, when you're ketogenic has, we have this um, ability to carry 15 times more energy stored in fat than we do in glycogen. Mm. So I run these events on, you know, fasted uh, and yeah, I intend to do the duathlon coming up shortly in a fasted state uh, with no food with me and I don't get hungry during the event. And you see these other runners with their energy gels and their bars and yeah, it's um, being hungry isn't something that happens when you're ketogenic. 
during an event, not to the degree where you get the glucose and sugar crash. Yeah. And you end up craving these foods. But there are some crazy people out there, as you say, that are running these distances every day. And I take my hat off to them. But coming back to what you said about why do I want to run a marathon? And I think it's almost on the bucket list, isn't it? So if I was to yeah. run a marathon, it would be a box ticked. And to be honest, I would probably come away from that then and just be happy with the short <laughs> with the shorter distances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't want to be a marathon runner, but uh, it's all about selecting those goals, isn't it? And I think if you are going to increase your training up to an Ironman, then you have to incorporate this marathon at the end. Um, so I will put the training in. I will do one eventually, uh, but you know that's not going to happen till next year. But I certainly don't want to be running half marathons every day. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show, like the power of human endeavor, you know, because. Yeah, there's not a part of my body which says, Alex, you got to go run 42 clicks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's purely it's purely the mind and just, you know, proving yeah. to myself that I can do these things. And I, I think that's common in many people who are running those kind of distances. Okay, so good segue. So you kind of shared about your body's ability to produce more energy. So we've gone through that first kind of couple weeks or however long it might be, not feeling great. We're getting the sodium in. So then what's on the other side of that and what's happening physiologically when we move through that first phase of ketogenic? So the body is slowly upregulating all of these pathways. We are improving insulin sensitivity. So now this insulin in the blood is coming down. When we get checked for things like diabetes, for example, now diabetes is a case of insulin resistance, except most doctors check blood glucose. They're not checking blood insulin. If they were, they would see that a lot more people are insulin resistant because the pancreas upregulates the amount of insulin to keep glucose in check. So we can see this line stay flat as glucose is kept in check while insulin is increasing. So it, it's a case of um, most of us are insulin resistant, 95 plus percent of us. You know, when I look outside of the shop that we've got on the high street, you know, I'm hard pressed to find someone that I think is insulin sensitive. And this can be shown through um, central adiposity. So if we have you know, central adiposity around the mid midsection, an overhang of, over our belt, um, dry skin or skin tags, uh, this is usually a sign of, of insulin resistance. But insulin resistance, as we said earlier, can be improved overnight. And this is what we see through tests is when someone drops their carbohydrates, they improve insulin sensitivity. So insulin comes down and we can reverse diabetes, type 2 diabetes in as little as two weeks. So this is the biggest change that's going on within the body. Um, every metabolic illness and disease comes from insulin resistance and inflammation. So these are the two driving factors. So correcting this insulin resistance is super important and we can do it so, so quickly. Literally within two weeks, we can see this correcting and people will, their blood glucose levels will be a lot more stable. So they won't get these peaks and crashes in energy. They won't get these cravings. They may still get cravings early on because as I say, it takes time to come away from it, but they'll notice an uplift in energy. Um, they'll notice that they feel more satisfied. Mental clarity, which is a big one for me. I can only describe it as fog has been lifted and you can see clearly things look colorful and you can zone in on things that, that and this is a state that you didn't even realize that you were in you know because it is it's life 
And then you fall off the wagon. You know, you have a cheat day. You put some carbs back in and then you feel awful again. So you end up eating more because you think, well, I've ruined the day. I might as well ruin the weekend. And before you know it, you're back on this slippery slope and you're out of this cycle. And then it just seems too difficult to get back on it again, you know. And this is what happens, unfortunately, with the majority of people that follow or try to follow this lifestyle. And that's exactly what it is. It's a lifestyle. People look at it as a diet, um, look at it as a fad. But being ketogenic is a metabolic state. It's a natural metabolic state. It's the metabolic state we're born in. And it's a metabolic state that we've evolved in our entire existence. And if we were to put man's entire existence into a 365-day calendar, we've been ketogenic for 364. So this isn't a fad. This is taking things back to the ways you know that they should be. And by doing so, we can correct this insulin resistance. And then these aches and pains start to disappear because a lot of these aches and pains are caused by inflammation. And when we start producing these ketones, particularly beta-hydroxybutyrate, beta-hydroxybutyrate blocks a pathway called NLRP3 inflammasome, which is responsible for a lot of the inflammatory signaling within the body. So these aches and pains start to disappear. Um, now, these are side effects of the production and creation and utilization of this ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate. But then we've opened up this door and then we step into this room and then it's a case of this room is full of doors and we can pick this door, this door, this door, because being ketogenic is a metabolic state. And there are, there are lots of different types of living a keto lifestyle. There's, you know, a dirty keto lifestyle. Um, there's, you know, a, a flexible keto lifestyle, um, a therapeutic, various others. You know, there's the, I'm, I'm basically carnivore. So I've gravitated down this pathway for so long, down coming back to this rabbit hole, I'm so deep into the rabbit hole that I've gone predominantly carnivore or, or animal based. So my diet you know, consists of meat, eggs, fish, cheese, the occasional Greek yogurt, uh, full fat, obviously, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, along with, you know, the bits that we make as well, because I know exactly what goes into them. Mm. And that includes MCT powder, MCT oil, electrolytes and certain protein powders and collagens and things that we make. And that's it. I will eat vegetables occasionally but I've removed them from my diet. So people will view me as not living a keto lifestyle because it doesn't fall into that um, that category that people believe a keto lifestyle to be. Um, but coming back to what I said prior, you know, being ketogenic is a metabolic state. My metabolic state is still the metabolic state of ketosis, despite not eating stupid amounts of fat that, you know, that, that other people will, will put in. Fat is important, but we don't need... We don't need to overload fats within our diet. Nature gives us this perfectly packaged formula that contains protein and fat. An egg contains protein and fat. It contains around six grams of protein, five grams of fat. A piece of beef contains protein and fat. A chicken breast with the skin on is protein and fat. Everything we need, nature provides in this perfectly packaged parcel. So I quite often won't cook in oils. If I do, I'll cook in butter, tallow, lard, ghee, the saturated fats, which is something else we can delve into if you like. But I do add MCT to my coffee and I use exogenous ketones as well. Um, something else we can talk about, but I don't overload, you know, my plate with 70 to 80% of my calories from fat because we don't need to. So, mm. so that's a, a misconception within the ketogenic community. Uh, I promote a more of a, um, a protein-based approach. Um, 
Now, the reason a lot of people avoid protein when living a keto lifestyle is they fear that the excess protein will give them an insulin response uh, and pull them from a ketogenic state uh, through a process called gluconeogenesis. So gluconeogenesis is the conversion of lipid and protein into glucose, into sugar. But it's a myth because this is taken from a study which was based on carbohydrates and they look at the insulin to glucagon ratio, which um, when we consume excess protein on a carbohydrate diet, high carbohydrate diet, the insulin to glucagon ratio increases by over 2000%. Now, when we perform the same on a ketogenic lifestyle, the insulin to glucagon ratio increases by only 5%, which means as a whole number, it remains unchanged. Therefore, it does not affect the insulin to glucagon ratio. It will not pull us from a ketogenic state. So I promote what I believe to be the most nutrient dense foods on the planet, which are our animal proteins, which contain every vitamin and mineral that we need, not to survive, but thrive. There are vitamins and minerals within animal proteins that we just can't get from plant sources. And what a lot of plants do contain are phytoalexins or plant toxins, which can negate a lot of the nutrients found in foods. Now, I'm not telling that, you know, the listeners not to eat their veg because I support all forms of a ketogenic lifestyle, all forms of gravitating towards improving this insulin sensitivity and tackling this, this inflammation. And just by lowering your carbohydrates, you are going to do this. So coming back to that, you've stepped into this room, you've dropped your, your carbohydrates. You are now on, on the path. You are fitter and healthier. And then, there's options, there's doors to take, and it's it's up to, to each individual to decide on how far you know down this this corridor, this this long room that you you know that they want to go and which door that they want to take. And it seems to be in incremental. So a lot of people will begin their journey as a dirty keto, which is purely macro-based. Basically, they'll eat anything that they want as long as they are consuming less than 20 grams of carbs and in a ketogenic state. And then they'll Go further down this rabbit hole and I'll educate people in regards to foods that are detrimental to our health, which we can talk about if you like. Uh, so they'll make those changes and then they'll make another change and another change. Um, and this rabbit hole just goes on and on and on. And the journey is endless. It's um, I learn something new every day. I'm constantly studying, looking at research papers. I learned something new today, which has shocked me through research, which is going to have to make me rethink about certain ingredients and things that I've been promoting. What was that research? Oh, do I, do I really have to say? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, a study came to me in regards to erythritol. Now, erythritol is a polyol, it's a sweetener. Um, I've always regarded it as being one of the best sweeteners. Uh, you know, It's not artificially, it comes from a plant. But erythritol is the only polyol that the body doesn't absorb any carbohydrates from. So there are other polyols like xylitol and maltitol, which can still be absorbed up to 65%. Things like stevia uh, have zero impact on insulin and erythritol has zero impact. It passes through the body uh, without any impact on, on blood glucose. Uh, but studies uh, that were presented to me from a colleague of mine today shows that uh, excess erythritol consumption could be linked to cardiovascular disease. And the research seems solid. So this has put me on a back step a little bit because I'm going to have to reformulate and you know, seriously think about reformulating one or two of the products that we have with a little bit of erythritol in. Um, now, the study does suggest that a little bit is okay, but it's not something that you know, I want to be promoting if it's damaging. But 
to a person who has just come into the keto lifestyle, who is used to stuffing their face with Mars bars constantly or, you know, whatever um, treats you guys have out there. Is it the Tim Tams? Is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got Mars bars so too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it, um, I, you know, I don't know why I say Mars bars because I don't even like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the sugary treats, whatever it may be, uh, in my opinion, I, uh, these are detrimental to our health. So swapping them in the early stage with something that is sweet and less damaging is a step worth taking. Ideally, you want to gravitate into a complete sweetener-free lifestyle if possible. But it is it is a process. Um, I don't like anything sweet anymore. And anything I do taste this evening, fractionally sweet, tastes overly sweet. So I remember uh, maybe year two or three into my journey and I had um, broccoli with something because I was still eating veg at the time. And this broccoli tasted sweet to me. Now, I used to hate broccoli and then I was eating this broccoli thinking, oh my God, this is the nicest thing I've ever tasted. And it's because I could suddenly taste all of these new flavors and things that I was blinded to previously from sugar abuse. So your senses become heightened. So I, you know, my, my opinions are that these artificial sweeteners, if they are not impacting blood glucose are a stepping stone, but ideally, you know, we want to gravitate, you know, into a lifestyle without them. Now we, we, I'm in a constant dilemma because I, you know, I own um, a ketogenic and low carb health store. We produce our own products. My products are, uh, the highest quality available anywhere in the world. And I firmly believe that the ingredients are all pure and clean. We don't put any of the rubbish in that any, everyone else does, but I also stock third party products and third party products that I deem not to be what I call keto pro approved. So on the website, we have keto pro approved products and you know that these are all what I deem to be the creme de la creme. And then you have other products which may contain ingredients that I don't agree with, but I think you're still better off eating this product mm. than eating a loaf of bread. So it's all about helping people along their journey, depending on how deep they are into this room or, or, the, or this corridor with all of these rooms. And I think you can offer them these products to steer them away from these foods that are detrimental, educate them, and hopefully they will gravitate into using their local butcher yeah. for their main shop, for example, you know. Um, but it is a process. It is a process. You talk about these these rooms. So what are some of the doors that we can take and what are the things we would do differently depending on which door we want to take? So we hold a course, an eight-week course. We run it every like 10 weeks to give us two weeks to buffer for the next one. And we do a lot of public speaking events on health, well-being, and nutrition in general. But on this course, uh, it's an incremental course, and it's based on health and well-being. So it isn't called you know, a keto course. We're not pushing keto. We are highlighting the impacts of certain foods. So week one is to remove your grains. So coming back to what I did initially with removing my bread. Why do we need to remove our grains? Fantastic question, and I'm glad you've asked. <laughs> <laughs> So grains are high in lectins. Now, lectins are carbohydrate binding proteins. They cause a number of issues in the body. We know of a lectin called gluten, but gluten isn't the only lectin and arguably not the most damaging. Um, 
Grains contain wheat germagglutinin and other foods contain things like phytohemagglutinin. Lots of foods contain lectins, but grains are particularly high in these lectins. These carbohydrate binding proteins bind to the enterocytes line in the gut and they cause the release of a molecule called zonulin. When zonulin is released, it causes a gap in the tight junction between these epithelial cells. Now, these epithelial cells are one cell thick, so pretty small. And they have a very important job. They protect our insides against external toxins. So a massive job for something so small. So these holes or these gaps, we don't want in these enterocytes or epithelial cells lying in the gut. Because when these holes appear, undigested protein molecules travel into the bloodstream where the body sees them as a foreign invader and creates antibodies to fight them. And then through a process called molecular mimicry, the body starts attacking other proteins in the body that look the same. This is autoimmune disease. Grains are the biggest contributing factor to autoimmune disease. Whether you, are, you know, have a gluten intolerance or not, we all get intestinal permeability from lectins in grains. If you were consuming grains, you have some form of intestinal permeability. Uh, and when we look at autoimmune disease, autoimmune disease is responsible for so many things. Um, so healing the gut is job number one when it comes to repairing and healing oneself. Uh, so to do this, we need to remove the grains. Now, there are other contributing factors as well, other than the grains. Um, you know, we don't need to go into too much detail, but grains are the biggest contributing factor to this intestinal permeability. And then week two, we will remove seed oils or also known as vegetable oils. Now, these seed oils, we think that they're good for us because we're told they come from vegetables, but they don't come from vegetables. They come from seeds. And to extract this oil from a seed, it goes through a process where they're treated with hexane, chemicals like hexane to withdraw this oil. And then they're treated with peroxide. So, you know, the dye that we put on our hair, maybe not us, but, you know, some people do. I used to in my younger days. <laughs> Me too. Ago. When I was a bit younger. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think we've all been there. Um, so these are chemicals that are not meant for human consumption. You know, this oil comes out and it's a dark gray color and it's incredibly smelly. So they bleach it with peroxide to take away the smell and to give it the yellow color. And you can run your diesel car on these seed oils. And what oils are we talking about specifically? So these are things like sunflower oil, safflower oil, rapeseed oil, grapeseed oil, canola oil, soybean oil. The list goes on. Yeah. Now, we can fuel our diesel car on these oils. Think of this for a second. We wouldn't travel to a fuel station and fill up a jerry can of diesel and come home and put it in the pan and cook food in it. So why are we doing it to these oils that are used for the same purpose? These oils were originally invented as machine lubricant and found their way into the modern diet. And they have no place in the modern diet. They are detrimental to our health. Now, you know, the listeners may be thinking, well, I don't cook in any of these oils, so that's fine. But the problem is almost everything in the supermarket contains these oils. Almost every packet you pick up will contain some form of vegetable oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, peanut oil, whatever it may be. Everything that's marked healthy, you know, uh, every sauce and mayonnaise, uh, every cake, every box of Pringles or Doritos or whatever it is will contain these vegetable oils. These vegetable oils are high in this oxidized omega-6 called linoleic acid. And this linoleic acid stays in the body for up to two years, causing oxidative stress. 
it increases something called arachidonic acid, which is acted upon by an enzyme called cyclooxygenase, which increases thromboxanes, leukotrienes, and prostaglandins and prostacyclins. But these thromboxanes and leukotrienes lead to um, constriction uh, and inflammation. So asthmatics, for example, you know, should be avoiding vegetable oils. Uh, and it causes inflammation uh, and swelling and constriction through the entire body. This oxidative stress is what leads to cell damage um, and, and basically ill health. It will, you know, lower something called the NAD plus to NADH ratio, which is what we need to produce energy. Uh, and it will increase signs of aging. So re removing the grains and seed oils is my two biggest takeaways to anyone. And this, this isn't even about being ketogenic. So I know, you know, the talk today was about ketosis and being ketogenic, but what I try to show people and educate people with is that when they wake up in the morning, they have uh, a piece of toast or a bowl of muesli or porridge. And then, you know, they'll have another piece of toast or a sandwich, or they'll have tuna and pasta or chicken and rice for lunch. They'll cook these foods then when they do cook in these seed oils. And then when they're on, on the move, they'll pick a packet up, which contains these seed oils. These, these lectins and seed oils are everywhere. They are causing insulin resistance, oxidative stress, glycation, and inflammation. And they are the two main drivers to this insulin resistance and inflammation, which is leading to all of these metabolic illnesses and diseases. If you were to come away from those, drop the grains and drop the seed oils and eat real food, you are going to improve your health and well-being tenfold. You're going to have mental clarity, abundance amount of energy. These aches and pains are going to go away. You are going to feel so much better and it doesn't even involve becoming ketogenic. So this is room number one, if you like, you know, and then it goes from there. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Found Space, Australia and New Zealand's premium infrared sauna company. Ready to sauna? Ready to take your health to a higher level? Make your home a place of wellness with Found Space. Visit foundspace.com.au or foundspace.co.nz to learn more. Earlier, you said that if the lifespan of, of our existence was put into a year, we've been ketogenic for 364 days. Can you just unpack that a little bit more? Because I can also see certain groups and clans and tribes of people who at times can't hunt and are living off plants and therefore carbs. So how does that kind of work? So... Plants, again, um, we've eaten plants, but plants were always survival foods. So typically we would have spent days trying to hunt and track an animal. When we are looking for that animal, we are in a fasted state. When we're in a fasted state, this is a state of low insulin and elevated glucagon. Now the body upregulates uh, a couple of processes in the body. We are now producing ketones. So we are in a ketogenic state. It also puts the body into a state of autophagy, which is cellular repair and regeneration, as you know, from your 30 day fast. So even when we are consuming a lot of these plants, um, a lot of the plants from the Paleolithic period, for example, would have been lower in carb than we think. So in the UK, for example, the, the fruit and veg that would have been around during the evolutionary period, berries typically would have contained uh, fructose. But these berries would have come into season at the end of the summer in order to fatten us up ready for the winter. So they wouldn't have been all year round. Um, 
potatoes in the UK were not native, but when they were brought in, they were absolutely tiny. They weren't the potatoes that we see today. So, you know, the tubers and foods that we would have eaten. No, there may have been spells where we would have consumed carbs, but we, I think we certainly would have been probably maintaining this ketogenic state because now that I am ketogenic and I have gone through this adaptation process and I'm metabolically flexible, I can consume lots of carbohydrates in a day and still maintain a ketogenic state. Now, I found this during prep for competition because part of what I do, my body fat percentage goes sub 3% when I'm on stage, which isn't healthy. It's not healthy. I've been at 3%, so I don't know what sub 3 is like. Brilliant. That's serious. Awesome. Huh. Well done. That's, yeah, that's, that's almost transparent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's... um. But I believe it's not a healthy place to be. I certainly wasn't healthy. Mm. I wasn't consuming enough saturated fats and choline. And, and saturated fats and choline are essential for you know brain function. Our brains are 60% saturated fat. The myelin sheath is made of cholesterol. Without these foods, I couldn't think properly. I was giving presentations and I couldn't think of... Uh, I, I was talking to somebody and I mentioned about sweet potato. You know, about, and I couldn't. I couldn't remember the word sweet. So I just racked off all of these big words, you know, uh, some of the ones that we've been talking about today. And then I was like, oh, you know, the potato that isn't a potato, you know, (laughs) (laughs) this is how much brain fog affected my brain because I wasn't consuming enough fat. So sub 3%, I don't believe is healthy, but it was fit for purpose. It was fit for purpose at the time. But part of what I do then when I get to that condition, the week leading up to stage is I will do a fat refeed. So I will eat protein and high amount of fat. Now this will fill the intramyocellular lipid. So it'll fill the fat in the muscle. Um, now being ketogenic, my body has the ability to hold more fat in the muscle. So that typically adds about seven pounds within two or three days to my weight. And then I'll put carbohydrates in. So don't shout to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll put uh, carbohydrates from white rice because white rice is lectin free. So I'll consume lean protein and lots of carbohydrates from white rice for three days. And then I will gain another 10 pounds. So within this five to six days, I've gained 17 pounds on a frame that is super lean. So suddenly everything lumps and bumps and this is where everything pops. And now I don't like the way that I feel when I consume the carbohydrates, but I consume a stupid amount of carbohydrates for these three days and I still maintain a ketogenic state. So despite my body being full of glycogen and carbohydrates because my body is now metabolically flexible. It will utilize the energy that I need to depend on what I'm doing. Now, if I continue to do this for beyond those two, you know, two to three days, I come out of a ketogenic state, Uh, but it doesn't take me long to get back in. But this to me would give me an indication of how somebody during our evolutionary period would consume coming from living in a ketogenic state and being metabolically flexible we'll consume these carbs we'll utilize these carbs effectively while still maintaining you know a low state of, of ketogenesis and then we'll catch this prey the food that we are hunting you know and then we're back on the wagon and any time that we teeter out i think would have been minimal you know most of our evolution i believe is is based in in a ketogenic state It's a good argument. (laughs) Would you go as far to say that human beings are designed to be ketogenic and therefore, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your health history, 
a ketogenic diet is the preferred diet for a human being? Generally, there are groups of people that are not able to become ketogenic. They miss certain genes. Who are they? People with gene mutations. Um, yeah. the, 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 um, yeah, it, it'll pop to me. It'll, it'll pop into my head shortly, you know, but generally, we are born in the metabolic state of ketosis. Babies come into the world in a ketogenic state. Now that should tell you almost everything that you need to know. So even if the mother is consuming copious amount of carbs, the baby's ketogenic, how's that? It's just the way of the world. Isn't it? This is the way that we come into the world. Um, mother's breast milk contains high amounts of protein, high amounts of fat, with little bits of carbohydrate. In fact, that's the only thing in nature that contains all three macronutrients. But for weeks, a baby is still producing ketones. Babies come into the world in a ketogenic state. PPR alpha. That's what I was missing. PPR alpha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What is that? Is that the gene that people are missing? Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I've I've never met anyone you know that is lacking that and the ability to utilize fats for fuel, but they do exist. Does that mean that those people in a they they technically couldn't fast for long periods of time if they're missing that gene or or that gene's turned on whatever it is? Does that mean that they can't run on ketones? Um, do you know what? I don't know because yeah. I've never worked with anyone in particular that has had it. Uh, every person that we have worked with has been successful. That's the ability to utilize fats for fuel, but then ketones is what fat breaks down into. So technically, if they were supplementing with ketones, they may be able to, but don't quote me on that. I will have to look into it and I will look into it for you. I'll get an answer over to you. But yeah, interesting question. I like it. Okay. You mentioned something there, uh, supplementing with ketones. So how do you do that? So we produce exogenous ketones. Lots of companies produce exogenous ketones. Obviously, I was the best. <laughs> <laughs> now, ketones are a fantastic way to help induce a ketogenic state initially. So there's a number of ways that you can utilize them. Now, I use them for the health benefits. So I use them for to help with inflammation. I use them for mental clarity. I use them for public speaking events. I use them for superior energy. Now, my body's producing ketones anyway. So what's in my coffee now is one of the ketones that I've got, which is the BHB in a chocolate form. And then this one, which is on my desk, is basically supercharged ketones. You can see that there. Um, these I use on game day. Now, by game day to me, because I've just started running a cycling, is doing a park run, okay? so uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought you meant coming on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's what's in my coffee. So the ketones I've put in there, but I'll use those to, to, to gain weight. I'll use them to help me lose weight for mental clarity. I'll use them for energy. There are lots of uses. I mean, there's, there's another entire podcast, if you wanted to, that we could go into the benefits. Um, now most of these benefits, at least to a percentage, can be achieved through living a keto lifestyle. You don't have to supplement with ketones. I just choose to because I feel that I run better on elevated ketones. But when you're in a ketogenic state, this is what your body's producing naturally. Yeah, understood. And taking exogenous ketones, can that help you arrive in a ketogenic state quicker? Yes. So, so, as, so, so as an example, sorry. So as an example, if today I said, All right, I'm not eating any carbs today and I'm going to go full keto tonight, right? Someone listening might want to do that. If they did that, could they take exogenous ketones to help them get into that state, they start taking some uh, electrolytes to help 
you know, stave off the bad feelings and they can get into that state more quickly? Yes. So BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, they are bound to electrolytes. So the BHB powders don't only contain BHB, they contain electrolytes as well. It's usually not enough, but they do also contain electrolytes of sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium. But yeah, in short, they can help induce a ketogenic state. Now, it sounds counterintuitive because initially what they do is they shut off ketone production because your body is achieving them or receiving them exogenously from outside the body. But as they disappear from the body, the body wants these ketones because your brain and your body and your heart prefer ketones. The brain um, prefers ketones. In fact, the, the brain will preference ketones in the presence of glucose. BHB will breach the blood-brain barrier when glucose can't. So this is why it's being used in like things like the treatment for Alzheimer's, dementia, and Parkinson's. You know, so lots and lots of uses. It increases mechanical efficiency of the heart by up to 35% and blood flow by 70%. Uh, It reduces inflammation. Uh, Now, all of these, again, you know, can be achieved through living the lifestyle, which is what we always recommend, you know, because, um, I'm a big advocate of the food that we eat, uh, and that should always be priority number one. You know, that said, a gentleman came to see me a couple of months ago, and he was looking for the magic pill. And I basically said, look, I don't sell magic pills. I gave him a bit of advice. Uh, he was type 2 diabetic. He said, look, I'm not going to follow a lifestyle. I just want something I can take to help with my diabetes. Are you going to help me or not? And I thought, oh, you know, I've always had this this thing in my head that, I don't want to sell magic pills. So I felt like turning him away, Mm. but I offered him, I offered him the BHB, the ketones. And I said, look, this is what I can do. It's not a magic pill. I still recommend that you live the lifestyle. This gentleman came back two weeks later. Now his blood uh, glucose levels um, had been around about 27 and they hadn't been below 17 in the last 10 years. He achieved. Yeah. So incredibly high. And He came in to see me after two weeks of just using the ketones. He was between six and seven. Wow. So he, he was technically not even diabetic according to a blood test anymore or, or just on the cusp. Off the back of that, he decided to look a little bit further and now he is living the keto lifestyle. So that was the catalyst that enabled him to, to follow the lifestyle. But initially what they do is they shut off ketone production. And as they come out of the body, the body ramps up ketones. Now, this is why. I would advise someone not to overconsume. So these are things that, you know, you can depend on what your goal is. If you're an athlete and you compete in, you know, it's great. You can put this in as much as you want, really. Um, but I recommend, you know, sparingly, little and often, uh, or little and less often even. So, you know, once a day, you know, is, is, is enough to signal the body to ramp up the production of ketones throughout the night. But you will achieve a lot of the benefits. Um, but, th- you know, this is a fraction of only, what you're going to achieve through living the lifestyle and you can also supplement as well but there was um a client of mine phoned me a few months ago because i ran out of stock of the bhb um and she broke her heart on the phone she used to give the bhb to her husband who suffered with uh, dementia he was stubborn and would not take any supplements so she used to put this into his mashed potato (laughs) she used to uh, she put it in, into the mashed potato so he would eat it. And she said that when he is eating this, he is himself. And now that he doesn't have it, because obviously dementia, again, is this state of insulin resistance, you know, in the brain. Uh, and BHB can breach the blood brain barrier and, and supply 
this energy to the brain. And he was himself and she broke her heart on the phone crying because I was out of my batch. I had an open tub that I was using. So I packed it up and sent her off to her for free. Um, it, it destroyed me listening to her crying on the phone. But this is how powerful, you know, you know, these things are. And it, it isn't a, a miracle powder. Um, you know, I, I always recommend, you know, li live the lifestyle, cut the grains and cut the seed oils. This is the most important thing. These other things are there to help and aid you along your journey. But I don't give the hard sales pitch. I don't sell magic pills. You know, I sell advice and nutrition. And if somebody is lacking or needs a further, you know, further boost or further kick, then, you know, we can point them in the right direction. If somebody wants a cake, the sugar-free, then we stock those. You know, if somebody wants chocolate bars, then we stock them without the vegetable oil crisps and pancakes and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, and that's my goal is to try to make the transition into this lifestyle as easy as possible so people can reap and benefit the rewards because it isn't just that person that benefits, it's the whole family. Um, my brother uh, has got a few issues, um, so I hope he doesn't hear this. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, um, he had a few issues and he tried to adopt a lifestyle. He struggled and he said to me that um, a life without beer is a life worth not, you know, not worth living. And I said, well, how selfish? He said, what do you mean? It's my life. I said, yeah, but I said, you know, you've, you're married, you've got children and you've got a family. I said, just because you want to drink beer that, that makes you sick and could kill you and you don't care, that doesn't mean it doesn't affect everyone else. So I said, I think that's awfully selfish. He's now living the lifestyle because that was enough for him to take a step back and think, do you know what? It isn't just me that eating these foods is affecting. It's my family. And when you start to think that you may be impacting pain on your children or your loved ones, suddenly it isn't for you. You're doing this for them. And that's what eating the correct foods and living a healthy lifestyle do. We all want to eat pizza. And it's not to say you can't ever eat these foods again. Once you, you know, you become adapted, you, you can put these foods in because it's all about the rule and not the exception. If you were consuming healthy foods devoid mostly of grains and these seed oils for 30 days of a month, and then you decide, you know, what, I'm going to indulge in, in a pizza or whatever it is, that's fine. You know, just write it off and get back on the wagon the next day because the more that you live a healthy lifestyle, the longer you are going to live, the more that you increase this NAD plus to NADH ratio we touched base on earlier is 400% more efficient at processing energy or creating energy than, than it is glucose. So it, um, the NAD plus, do you know much about the NAD plus? Yeah, uh, I actually, I, I have a question on that um, for you, but awesome. before we do, uh, just how do you know when you're adapted? So on the urine strips, you will probably show a negative uh, or at least close to. And this is because the body is no longer wasting ketones. Mm. But to be honest, the simplest, the simplest way is how you feel. Um, you feel it. Uh, it's almost this gift that keeps giving because you feel better after three months. You feel even better after six months. Uh, six months, you know, you three to six months, you're now adapted. It takes at least 12 weeks. Um, six months, you're even further adapted. Nine, 12 months on, you reach this even higher level of mental clarity, concentration, um, you know, this feeling of feeling better, feeling fitter, healthier. You skip up the stairs a little bit quicker, you know, all of these little things. So you feel it. But as far as measurable, 
uh, you know, a way to measure. If you measure using the urine strips, you will quite possibly show a negative or incredibly low. And a lot of people hate this because they think, well, I'm not cheating. I'm not doing anything wrong. But it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because you're doing something right. This is why the reading is so low. Yeah, it's counterintuitive because you think if I'm ketogenic, I'm producing a lot of ketones. I'm going to have ketones in my pee. But yeah. So you're saying actually if you graft it over time, it would actually come down. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Got it. Okay. That's really good to know. Yeah. Jumping on to NAD. So I'm curious, like, do you supplement with NR or NAD and what's your kind of approach to boosting NAD levels? Because- the production of beta hydroxybutyrate increases nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide or NAD plus. So sorry, I throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> so no, no. I, I haven't had a chance to talk about NAD on the podcast yet, but I, I personally supplement with it, and um, yeah, I'm curious yeah. To so take on it. I, I'm all for that. So there's a, a company that, um, in fact, you may be familiar with Lisa Tamati. Yeah, um, so I've had yeah. her on the on the podcast. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Lisa's awesome. Um, so Lisa sells NAD supplements and they are absolutely incredible. Now I was looking into the pathway that this allows us to increase NAD plus because living a keto lifestyle will do this, you know, in a natural state. I don't know if there's additional benefit to supplementing with, um, but I'm all for NAD supplements. Um, but the creation of ketones increases this NAD plus to NADH ratio because when we process glucose for for energy one glucose molecule costs the body four nad plus mm-hmm. now to process one beta hydroxybutyrate molecule costs the body one so it increases this nad plus to nad ratio by 400 percent so i achieve this increase through living the lifestyle and through using the ketones um lisa's kindly sent me you know some nad that i've i've trialed um i wouldn't know how to measure if it's made an effect um but yeah, Lisa's awesome. The NAD cool. is awesome. I'm I'm all for supplementing. Anything you can do to increase the NAD plus to NADH ratio, I think we're going to see massive benefit. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think just to specify as well, if you're supplementing, it's actually with NR or NMN, you know, as a precursor to NAD. You can't actually supplement on NAD unless you want to go and get an infusion. Yes, that's it. Um, yeah. But even then, there's a bit of talk around like the size of the molecule of NAD on its own might be a bit too big and that kind of thing. So I think it's nicotinamide mononucleotide, isn't it? That's it. The NNN, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I started taking NMN, I definitely noticed a, an improvement in clarity. Now, hey, caveat here, I'm turning 30 soon. So my natural levels of of NAD haven't started to drop, but they said that they drop at something like 1% year on year once you're after the age of 30 or something like that. But it's exciting to hear that, you know, if you're living ketogenic lifestyle, that you're going to get a boost in NAD levels anyway, which is really, yeah. really interesting. Um, Richard, this has been a fascinating conversation, mate. I'm seriously grateful for your time. I know you're super busy and uh, I feel like we've unpacked a lot. Uh, we've gotten pretty specific in some areas. Um, but as always with health, when I talk to people, it's like, don't overcook it. Just look at it from a high level, you know, even if the takeaway from from talking to you is just reducing your grains and the vegetable oils, great. Perfect. You know. Perfect. And that's it. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to share with everyone uh, whilst we've got them? It's been fantastic. Um, super grateful for you guys having me on. Uh, hope I haven't bored you too much to death. It, uh, I, I do tend to get carried away. <laughs> um, but I guess you do when it's something you're passionate about. But um, that's it, man. Yeah, fantastic. No, thank you.
No, no, absolutely. And if people want to find out more about you or Kiddo Pro, where, where can they do that? So our website is www.theketopro.com, all one word. Instagram is keto uh, underscore pro or keto underscore. He'll be on our Instagram. Um, we have a page on Facebook, which is called keto. Um, yeah. And, and that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the website and, and Instagram is probably the best way to follow uh, our bits. You can join the, the newsletters on the website and you'll receive lots of information. We do uh, giveaways within our Facebook group as well, weekly giveaways where uh, we'll randomly give away products and things for free. But lots of advice. Uh, we do lots of podcasts, as I say, lots of um, you know, nutritional information and we post lots of information from lots of different sources. So it'd be great to get you guys on as well. Yeah. About your journey. Uh, so I'm sure that, you know, the guys in the group would, um, love to hear that. We've, um, we've had Benazadi on. Um, we did a fantastic one on fasting. Uh, I went on his and we did one on cholesterol, which is absolutely incredible. So yeah, that'll be good. If you guys could spare the time, that would be greatly appreciated one day. Can go deep on saunas or ice bath or hermetic stress in general. Love it. Great. Yeah. Brilliant. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. No problem at all. Thank you. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes.